Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hi, this is Dan Miller. I'm going to be your host for the next 48 minutes. Each week, we scan through the hundreds of questions submitted by you, the readers, listeners out there who are certainly struggling with the challenges, but also recognizing the opportunities in the changing workplace today. And you know, both of those are out there. Yes, there are challenges. Yes, there are people who are really struggling with finding a place. A lot of people are struggling because they're trying to duplicate what they're most used to having done. I mean, I hear that all the time. I mean, I even hear from people who are, you know, people who have been pastors and uh, in losing that position or that opportunity, perhaps, you know, trying to move on. And yet they think, well, that's what I'm most familiar with. I just need to do that again. But, you know, with, with challenges come a fresh start. I mean, oftentimes what's happening right now, when I hear people who had an unwelcome, unexpected change, it's just a wake up call. And they suddenly are able to see things that they've not seen before. They see that what they've been doing was just kind of the status quo. It was good, but not great. And all of a sudden they're realizing there are really no obstacles to move into what they have dreamed about doing for many years. And people are doing that. And of course, it's thrilling to see that. We've got some stories about things like that today and the questions that have come up here. But um, also the typical challenging questions, people, uh, somebody says, how do I stand out in a sea of candidates who are all more qualified than I? Great question. Somebody says, how soon would you recommend following up after an interview or a proposal for work so as not to seem too pushy? Uh, a couple of people in real estate wondering how to knock it out of the park in times like these, how to do that really great. Uh, Jody wants to know how to fund a crowdsourcing project. I want to have a little time to talk about that. This new phenomenon that we're seeing on crowdfunding, where there's new ways to raise capital for interesting projects. Somebody starting a massage business and uh, wants to know if they can use my testimonial to promote it. Absolutely. We'll talk about that. Well, let's just jump into them. I'm eager to get in the questions. Got a lot of great questions, as always. Got a quotation for you this week. Comes from Mark Twain, who says, Keep away from people who try to belittle your ambitions. Small people always do that, but the really great make you feel that you, too, can become great. And that is absolutely true. You know, when I hear people who are having their dreams torn down, you know, repeat. I had somebody this week, we were talking, and she said that she had watched a particular documentary on TV, and it had to do with a well-known celebrity. But the well-known celebrity is not always embraced in particular, especially Christian circles. I won't even mention who the celebrity was. But anyway, she said, you know, well, some of my friends, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, you need to get some new friends. And it really took her back. She stopped. She says, what did you say? I said, you need to get some new friends. Well, you know, if you are finding that the people that you're with don't embrace your big dreams, the things that you're doing for new levels of success, 
be careful about hanging around with people like that. I mean, be around people who are encouraging you. And that's going to always be true. You know, true friends are going to be excited when you get the promotion, when you start a new new business, you know, when you hit, make your first million bucks, when you buy that Mercedes sports car you've always wanted. True friends will. But what happens typically when you announce to your coworkers in the cubicle that you're going to go out and start your new business? You know, they say, oh, man, that's great. We really wish you well. Man, I hope you make $50,000 next month. That's usually not the response. No. You know, they say, oh, what do you think? And are you crazy leaving a job where you get a pension possibility, 401k contribution, medical benefits? Are you nuts? But then you go ahead and leave. And then when you are successful, those people, ah, you're always just so lucky. You're just lucky. Yeah, right. Well, luck is when opportunity meets preparation. If you're prepared for a better opportunity, walk into it, but find people who will cheer you on while you're doing it. Well, hey, enough of that. Let's go to some of the questions. David says, I've started my MBA and I'm trying to get into the GS." GPSI. Okay. Actually, it's a graduate public service internship program. It's a program that will pay my tuition and a monthly wage of $950. There are 400 students, however, competing for 60 positions. How do I stand out in a sea of candidates who are all more qualified than I? Now, let's back up and look at this. So you're applying for an internship position. There are 400 students competing for 60 positions. Now that means that one out of seven are going to get the internship. I mean, that's, that's the best odds you'll have for anything in your life. You know, state lotteries usually have odds of about 18 million to one. While the multiple state lotteries are the big ones where you hear all there's, you know, $300 million or whatever. Those usually have odds of about 120 million to one. Now, even in just applying for a job, I mean, it's, I was talking to one of Dave Ramsey's, well, he's a HR guy recently. It's not uncommon for them to have 300 applications for one position. 300 applications for one position. You're looking at something where you have a one out of seven opportunity. My gosh, it's almost a walk-in. Now, obviously, you need to do what you can to stand out. Just just yesterday, I saw a young guy. His name is Zach Freeman. lives here in Franklin, Tennessee. But he took one summer, and rather than flipping hamburgers at eight bucks an hour, he took one summer to focus on getting scholarship money, and he raised $70,000. Now he's speaking and selling his little book on how he did that to raise the funds for his MBA. Now, in doing that, I mean, he didn't have to be, have the best academic record. He didn't have to blah, blah, blah. Most of the things that he applied for had very few, if any, applicants. A lot of the things that where he got like $1,000 didn't have any other applicants. They're local things through, you know, a state farm agency or through the Tennessee, Middle Tennessee Electric Co-op. I know he got some money there. I mean, they hardly have any applicants, so your odds are really great. Now, this is going to be great practice for everything that's going to come to you later in life. I mean, you know, what are, what are my odds of getting Joanne to marry me? I mean, how can I make myself stand out when she's a very attractive young lady and has hundreds of guys that would be thrilled to have an opportunity 
Well, do something creative. Now, hey, I'll tell you what I did with Joanne. Not that it relates to getting a job, but perhaps it does because I've always looked for things that would make me stand out. The very first day I ever met Joanne, I saw her. She walked in as one of the new... I was a sophomore at Ohio State University. She was an incoming freshman. So we were standing around, some of the guys watching the new freshman chicks walk in. I saw Joanne. I said, hey, guys, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. I followed her. She put a note up on a community bulletin board asking if anybody lived in a particular area of town, if they could please give her a ride to school, at least till she figured something out. I followed her, looked over her shoulder, and I said, hey, I come right right through there. I'd be happy to give you a ride for a few days till you figure something out. She saw me as fairly non-threatening, just another student. She said, well, that'd be, that'd be very kind of you. Now, did I live in that part of town? Absolutely not. Had nothing to do with where I live. But I simply offered, I took that opportunity. That was my first introduction to Joanne. I didn't have to have some kind of awkward, you know, hey, I think you're gorgeous. Uh, You want to go out on a date? Nah. I just followed her, saw that as an opportunity. Obviously, we got to know each other very quickly and the rest is history. But do something to make yourself stand out as a unique candidate, as a great candidate. I mean, FedEx them your application. Send a dozen roses to the person doing the interviewing. I mean, tell them what you would do if you got the internship position. Be creative in what you're doing. I mean, uh, wrap your application around the ear of corn and send it to them and say, hey, you may think this is corny, but just give me your ear. You know, oh, shucks. I mean, do something in, innovative that'll make you stand out from the other seven candidates that you're up against. But my goodness, this sounds like something you ought to be able to knock out of the park. Go for it. Marvia says, Dan, I've been teaching for 11 years. I'm ready for something new, not in education. It's draining and exhausting. How do I translate one career path into diverse options for work I might love? How do I really figure out my values, passions, and skills in a way that doesn't pigeonhole me? Trying to figure out what I bring to the table. Well, if you've been teaching for 11 years, then you know that. But in that period of time, certainly you've been able to identify those hotspots, those things that are your highest value areas of competence, the things that you most enjoy doing, the things that put you in a zone, the things that make your heart sing. Now, it may only be two or three of 30 things that you've been required to do in that environment, but identify what are those. Then how would that have application in new environments? A lot of people are moving out of traditional public school education, as an example, and they're uh, becoming tutors. Uh, They're working with homeschooling groups, they're doing corporate training, they're doing workshops and seminars through the local chamber of commerce. And those are all things that still embrace the same kind of skills that probably drew you to teaching, but still remove you from the dynamics of what's involved in most public school classrooms at this point. Dustin says, I'm looking at improving a weakness out of my business. When doing a quote for a job, I just normally email the quote over and rarely follow up. How soon would you recommend after a quote before following up to not seem too pushy? Well, Dustin, this is just like what I recommend in doing a job search. So, you know, doing a job search, I recommend that you immediately follow up after doing an interview with a thank you. And then four or five days later, and every four or five days after that until you get a final answer. 
See, most buying decisions aren't made until after five presentations. Actually, a lot of them aren't made until after seven. Don't be afraid of being repetitive. So if you have been had a request for a quote in your business, so I don't know if it's, you know, putting in a heating and air conditioning system or washing the windows. I don't know what your business is, but let's just, whatever it is, you've gotten a request for that. Absolutely. When you've sent a quote, I would the next day thank them for the opportunity of having bid on that business. Four or five days later, absolutely. I'd email them again or give them a call or just show up. I mean, any of those are legitimate. You have earned the right to have that interaction after having been asked to give a quote, just like in an interview. You've invested your time and energy in that. So you've earned the right to know where that process is going. So it's not pushy to just show up again and say, gee, I want to check back with you, let you know I'm still interested. You know, I still think I'd be a good match for your company. In your case, look for anything that you can do to have another contact with them. Don't assume that just because you've given them the information that you can't do anything more. Look for reasons to contact them. Say, gee, I thought you'd be interested in this article, something about their industry. Uh, you want to do you want to create what we call top of mind positioning. And we do that by repeated contacts, whether it's getting a job or getting business for your business. So, yes, um, you can contact them immediately after giving them a quote and certainly four or five days after that and do that repeatedly until you get an answer. Now, you may think, well, gee, that's too pushy. You know, they're just going to be offended and tell me no. OK, if they tell you no, then, you know, not to waste your time and you move on. I mean, you want either a no or a yes. A no is better than not knowing. So be persistent until you get a specific kind of response. Dan, I have two questions for you. One of my brothers and I have started a business in which we are running out of cash flow. No way to finance it unless we get a minimum of clients. The problem has been that even though we've done lots of promotion, very few clients come by our call and just one or two actually buy our services, which is tutoring. I see this as a business that could be very, very profitable if we could only get clients to choose us. Even free tutoring hours do not really catch people. Competition is killer in this area. There are many businesses like ours, and it's difficult to make ourselves stand out as an exclusive business. The clients that we do get are happy and satisfied with our service. What's your advice? Well, you have to go back to the drawing board on this particular rose is the questionnaire here. Rose, you have to go back to the drawing board and look at your business overview, your business plan. I mean, why did you select this particular business if there are a lot of competitors in the area, difficult to get clients. I mean, what did you think was a good reason for starting this business? I mean, you, you have to look for what we call that USP. What is your unique selling proposition? What are you doing that is a little bit different or provides added value to what is already being done there? If you can't identify that, then you probably don't have a business that's worth doing. Now, keep in mind, too, even though you know a business is needed, there are sometimes a business just really isn't worth doing. I mean, if I have a business where I can sell a machine and make $10,000 on it, but there's only one prospect for that machine in every city, the marketing cost to make that work may make the business a dud. It may not be worth doing. 
So you have to make sure that all the components of a business all the way through, there is a market there, there is a need, you're doing something unique, you priced it in a way that will actually have net profits for you. I mean, all those things need to be in place. That's why I encourage anybody to do a business plan. Don't just assume that since you do something well, you know, that the world needs it and they'll pay you for it. Unless you can make a business plan work, it's not worth doing. This is what's frustrating for a lot of authors. Now, obviously, I know a lot of authors because of what I've done. They see what I've done and they say, well, gee, I wrote a great book. You know, why am I not making a lot of money? Well, because writing a book is just one small component. I mean, I tell people, you know, you want to be a, a, a great author, write a great book. Absolutely. Do a great job of it. Now you're 10% finished. 90% is how are you going to market, promote, position, price that book? What are you going to do to get it out there where it gets some legs on it? The same way here, just being providing a great service is probably 10% of your challenge. 90% is how can you turn this into a profitable business? And if that can't be done, move on to another business. Take what you've learned from that. It's not time wasted or time lost, but take what you've learned from that and move into something that really is profitable. You know, that's what entrepreneurs do. I mean, entrepreneurs don't just start one idea and just because they're an entrepreneur, it's successful. I see people all the time who start because they are entrepreneurs and then they realize the business they started initially really isn't a great opportunity. And so they move into something else. I mean, that typically is the process where somebody goes through three or four ideas before they find something that really works well. Where I live here in Williamson County, Tennessee, you know, it's a beautiful area, lush properties, lots of, you know, green grass. So there are a lot of lawns lawn services. It's very easy to get into that business. And a lot of people see that it's easy. I mean, so you get a little trailer behind your pickup truck run by Home Depot, you know, pay 500 bucks for a a lawnmower and you're in business. Well, a lot of people discover that really doesn't mean that you're going to have a successful business. It just means you've got the potential. But a lot of those guys who, after a year of struggling, realize there's a whole lot of people doing the same thing, they start to look for what is a unique opportunity that would perhaps go deeper with the customers that I already have. So rather than just doing yards at 60 bucks a piece, how about if 70% of the customers that I currently have would be candidates to have a screened-in porch or a gazebo or stamped concrete sidewalk or a water feature or a stone wall. I mean, so they discover, wow, if I added this to my business services, I would not have to just go out and knock on more doors to get more customers. I could go deeper with the customers who already trust me with whom I've already established rapport. And I move into things that are way more profitable than just cutting their grass. I mean, that's the kind of thing you can do once you are in business. You ought to be able to look, be looking for things that would make your current business more profitable or help you transition into something that is a new business that would help you be more profitable there. Pedro says, uh, Dan, I could use some ideas. I'm a new real estate broker associate in a small town, 3,000 population. Boy, that is a small town in a county with about 250,000 population. My wife and I moved back to the area of our college town almost two years ago. Um, Pedro says he's been involved in construction management, land development, but there's not much going on in this particular area. He'd like to be involved in real estate. He just aligned himself with a real estate company there. 
a mom-and-pop office with 30 years of experience in residential, commercial, and land sales, as well as property management. Uh, Long-term, I'd like to work as a real estate consultant and broker specializing in land and commercial real estate. While I build my contacts in business and commercial and land, I'm also looking to take residential and business opportunity deals to get me going. I mailed out personalized letters to 140 of our friends and business contacts in the county, making sure they know I'm a broker consultant. Anyway, Pedro's saying, you know, what do you have as tips to knock it out of the park, both short term and long term? Well, the real estate industry, I mean, is one that I really believe in. I mean, in times like this, where there's a correction going on in real estate, that means there's a whole lot of people who were agents because, again, it's one of those things pretty easy to get into. So everybody jumps into the real estate business and they get their agent's license. But then when things get tough, about 70% of those allow their license to go into escrow, meaning they perhaps still pay an annual fee, but they aren't doing anything to keep it active. And so it just sits there. Well, that means that the remaining 30% can hustle and take advantage of the business out there. I mean, what if, what if business dropped by 50%? Well, if 70% of the agents dropped out, that means you have more opportunity now than you did when things were going well. That's what I see happen all the time in real estate. So I think you can do well there. But you're wise in asking, how do you learn to do that well? It's not just a matter of luck, being at the right place at the right time, or going back to your hometown where you have good old boy family connections. Learn how to do it well. Plug into people like uh, Joe Stump, Todd Duncan. I mean, these are guys who have mastered the process of being successful. Joe Stump, and that last name, incidentally, is S-T-U-M-P-F. I think is how it's spelled. But Joe's been around a long time. He trademarked the term by referral only. He says that once you're a real estate agent, you know, once you're in a business for 90 days, you should never have to go knocking on doors, you know, never go to the chamber meetings and hand out 30 business cards. If you work your customers properly, you will never sell to anybody except a direct referral again. So check out his material. Joe Stump, Todd Duncan is another one, T-O-D-D-D-U-N-C-A-N. I know he's got a lot of material. So I would just, my process always is learn from the masters. If I go into a new area, I want to find out who is doing it exceptionally well. And I want to learn from them to shorten my own learning curve. So when I got into podcasting, boom, you know, I found somebody who was knocking out of the park. When I first started blogging, I went and found a coach to help me in that. I would encourage you to do the same. I'm not a real expert in real estate. I love it. I I would enjoy doing it personally, but I would encourage you to go right to the leaders in that field, get their materials, you know, invest a little bit so that you become top notch really, really quickly. Dylan says, Dan, I'm in the military planning on getting out to find the work that I love. I have a bachelor's in human resources, have a passion and knowledge for personal training, bodybuilding. I'm having trouble focusing my energy. Do you have any suggestions, ideas on how I can focus these skills on a concrete path? Thanks. Love the podcast. All right, Dylan, you've got a bachelor's in human resources and a passion and knowledge for personal training, bodybuilding. Boy, that has a lot of application. I mean, you could manage a health and nutrition store. You could be a personal trainer. You could work at a fitness center. You could head up a wellness program for a company. 
mean, we could go on and on. You ought to be able to identify 20 things that would be possibilities with your background academically in human resources and your passion for personal training. But what you need to do is create a focus, then develop your own plan for success in that area. I mean, having a broad area of interest is fine as a starting point, but being a generalist will not really bring you a whole lot of success. And, and focusing down doesn't mean that you're discarding all the other ideas forever. If you decide to work at a fitness center, that doesn't mean that you don't have the potential to be a personal trainer. You may move into that two years from now because you've got all kinds of people, personal contacts that you've learned to know through the fitness center who want you to work with them individually. So these things can grow one into the other, but it just means that you can't try six different things at the same time, focus down on one, knock it out of the park. It just means that that's the quickest way to get success now, even though you know you still are a candidate to do some others. And you may, in fact, sometime in the future, do those others. Randy says, Dan, I know you're extremely busy. I get a lot of emails. I have one question, so I'll be brief as possible. My wife, Faye, is starting a new massage therapy business, and one of the pages on her website will be about the benefits of massage. I saw in your 48 Business Ideas ebook, that's that, um, there's a post-it note at 48days.net where I have 48 low-cost business ideas. You can go there and just open that up and look through those ideas. And he says on page 15, where you talk about you and your wife getting massages and why it's important. We would like your permission to quote you where you talk about those benefits with two conditions. We will link to your site. We'll make very clear that these quotes are about the benefits in general, not the benefits of getting a massage specifically from Faye. Okay. Now, Randy wrote this. I saw this. It came into my uh, email a few days ago. I already responded. I said, absolutely, that would be fine. Take anything you see that I've written about the benefits of massage there in that 48 low cost business ideas. Feel free to use that. And I just went to your site, Randy, and the uh, site looks great, incidentally, and see that you have already put my comments up there. Absolutely fine to do that. Thank you for asking for your consideration in that and linking back to our site. Now, I, I get a lot of requests for endorsements, forwards on books, testimonials, and, and I do a ton of those. Now, with endorsements on books, I, I ought to provide a caveat here. I mean, I, I don't just do everything. I mean, I try to be realistic about endorsements on books or forwards for books. It does have to be something that I think is well done and something that um, presents information, you know, in a reasonable fashion. I mean, there, there are certainly books that I get that I would not be happy providing an endorsement for, but then I give that person feedback about it and hopefully some information as to how they could improve that. Uh, but but I do a lot of that. I mean, I do, yesterday I did an endorsement. Well, I did two endorsements for books yesterday. But I usually, well, I, I do lots of them. I mean, every week, endorsements, testimonials. I'm very open about that. Sometimes people are very hesitant about asking, like it's a big imposition. I mean, I recognize, I mean, for one thing, I'm, I'm honored by being asked. I mean, always. I mean, I don't take that lightly at all. But also, I recognize that having those testimonials out there and having me referenced in books and doing forwards for other books, I mean, that helps me too. That's not just a one-way thing. I mean, I'm very open to the, the fact that 
I do get benefit from that. That helps expand my marketing exposure as well. So certainly, I mean, I don't feel imposed upon by being asked, I guess is, is what I'm saying. And sometimes people are very, very reticent about asking because I am busy and so on and so on. But, but believe me, you know, I'm, I'm not unapproachable and I don't want ever anybody to ever think that, golly, I'm, I'm somehow too good to be asked, you know, for a favor. Um, yes, I've been blessed and I've uh, been honored to have the opportunities that I've had, but uh, I get a, a great thrill out of helping people on their path to success as well. John says, Dan, I've been a paid youth leader. for Now, this is an interesting question. I've been a paid youth leader for two months. I also work at the post office, but they can't give me Sundays off for union reasons. My plan is to use the post office as a financial boost for my business, which is music. I'm enjoying this job, but I have to step down from the church and I feel guilty. Okay, short question, but we've got a whole lot of issues that have been kind of rolled in here. I've been a paid youth leader for two months. I also work for the post office, but they can't give me Sundays off. My plan is to use a post office job as a financial boost for funding his music business. He's enjoying the job, but he has to step down from the church. I feel guilty. Don't rank the godliness of work based on it being church-related. Now, this is a tough issue, but, you know, some of the most miserable people I know work in churches. They have church jobs, and some of the most fulfilled people I know who are really living out their calling, you know, work in a wide variety of industries and professions. So trust your sense of peace or lack thereof in making this decision. If music is your ultimate goal and working at the post office is the best vehicle to help you accomplish that goal, then hold your head high and be an exemplary post office worker. I mean, Lord knows we need more people like you working there. So look at your long-term goal and what keeps you on track in accomplishing that. And don't think that you're somehow turning your back on God because you don't have a church-paid position in this period of time where you're developing your music business. I mean, this is goes much farther. It, it's much broader issue than just whether or not you should feel guilty for not working at a church. I mean, working at a church, I mean, if that were really the issue, then any of us who don't have church-related positions should feel guilty in thinking that, well, if we were really more godly, you know, we'd be paid by a church. I mean, goodness sakes. I mean, that would, I mean, that would implode our entire economy. We need a whole lot of people who are not being paid by churches to even allow churches to have that opportunity. Yeah, this is a very personal process of planning, but you can have an opportunity to be an exemplary witness, to be salt and light wherever you are, and certainly um, at the post office, and perhaps even more so by being there than being paid by the church. Well, wow, I feel bad moving on from that. We could stick there all day, but I'm not going to do that. You know my thoughts on most of those issues, and uh, it's great to have us continuing challenging questions around those issues but again some of the 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 people I see that struggle most with their purpose and calling are those who have been paid by church and yet feel like there's something missing like perhaps they aren't on the right track Dan thanks for all you've done I've been an avid listener your podcast I learned so much Um, 
Jordan says, a friend and someone I looked up to at church gave me the opportunity to take over a small business he had, restaurant ceiling and wall cleaning. In the end, he had some clients, but a lot of it is as if I'm starting from scratch, gaining new business. I don't enjoy the marketing, selling aspect of it much. Walking into restaurants, trying to get a meeting with the owner, manager. Should I forget trying to make it work now if it's a business that I'm not passionate about? Or is there a way I could contract this part out? How would I try that, find the right person? Uh, Jordan. Well, a couple things here, Jordan. If you don't enjoy the work, then having the business given to you was not really a blessing. It, it just isn't. If you don't enjoy the business, you're going to have a hard time making that work. If it is a business where it is cleaning restaurants, ceilings and walls, if you can't do the selling, you're going to have a hard time making the business work. You can't just be in the background and doing the work. That's the, the easiest part of the business to do. The most challenging part that should be rewarded the most is the ability to go out and sell those services and get the jobs. If that's not something you do well, I suspect this is not a business that you ought to continue doing. Thank you, friend, for giving the opportunity and move on to something that you are passionate about that you could sell with a lot of enthusiasm and boldness. Um, <laughs> here, here's a question. It came in as a long audio question, and I'm not going to uh, take the time to have you listen to it, but essentially... Um, John is saying that he's been with the job for quite a period of time and he really wants to leave, but he has this sense of obligation. He has a sense of loyalty to the company. He doesn't want to hurt their feelings, but he really wants out. He wants to go do something else. How in the world do you leave a company that you're loyal to and you don't want to hurt their feelings? Well, there are a couple ways to do that. Uh, yeah, there's, oh, oh, me, there's one way. Johnny Paycheck's telling us how to leave a job you don't like. Gotta love it. All right. Well, there's one way. Now, I'm not recommending that, obviously. Just I love the the philosophy in songs. Don't songs bring us some of the greatest lessons in life? Well, that was kind of a crass old song there, Johnny Paycheck. But yeah, you don't need to do that. You don't need to do that. You can hold your head high and leave a company. But you have to realize, you know, you're, you're wow, you have to see yourself as self-employed. Don't see yourself just as an employee of this company. You are John Miller, whatever your name is, John Incorporated. That's who you are. You ought to be able to have your life plan mapped out, where you're going. If this job, this company doesn't allow you to have the kind of success you're looking for, then you need to leave. You need to move on. I mean, we have to recognize we go through seasons in our own lives, just like there are seasons in nature. We go through seasons in our own lives. And a lot of people who have been at a job for 10 years or five years or 20 years really need to move on. They're stuck. They're stagnant. They're not growing. So just the process of growing into new opportunities often requires that you need to leave a job. Now, you don't need to 
make it an acrimonious parting of the ways. You don't need to be hateful about it, but simply present it in that way that I'm exploring some new opportunities. You know, this is what I'm moving toward. And I need to give you, I thank you for, you know, being loyal to me and giving me the opportunity I've had here, but I'm giving you my two weeks notice. Boom. You don't need to draw it out. You don't need to make a rational, some kind of rationale for doing that. It just is part of life. The other side of that is if the company realizes that you aren't really happy there, you're not thrilled to be there every day, they would be foolish to try to make you stay. Nobody wins in that scenario. If they realize that you're not happy there, that that's not a good fit for you, then they ought to be encouraging you to leave, to go find someplace where you can really be successful. So this idea of being loyal sometimes is very counterproductive from either side. A company who tries to make you feel like you ought to stay there, even if you hate it, because they've been loyal to you and you ought to be loyal to them. That's ridiculous. Everybody ends up with ulcers. And for you to think that you ought to just bite the bullet, just stay there, forget your feelings about wanting to move on because you're loyal. Nah, don't do that. I mean, so if you've been a executive, some, some kind of executive position in the company, give them 30 days instead of two weeks. That's fine. Do whatever's reasonable, but absolutely make your transition plan and move on. Isaac says, uh, I'm currently driving trucks but I want to sell cars. Should I pile up some cash for the initial months or should I just make the leap? Would you please have some advice for me? I loved your book. Thanks, Isaac. Okay. You're driving trucks, but you want to sell cars. Yeah. I'd recommend having a 30 day reserve. So, so that doesn't, I mean, that's not a whole lot. That's not a long period of time. You don't need a long startup time to start selling cars. Now, if you were Selling real estate, if you said you want to move into real estate, then I'm going to say, yeah, you need at least 90 days. I mean, 90 to 180 days, you need reserves there because it takes a lot longer to get somebody into the funnel and moved all the way through to a closing and then to actually get your money. But in selling cars, you pretty much hit the ground running. I mean, just be clear about what the opportunity is. I mean, I would negotiate that before you stop driving truck. I mean, but talk to four or five different dealerships where you would be interested in working and see what what kind of a training time they have, how quickly you actually are selling cars, and then what the process time is for you being paid for cars that you sell. I mean, if you sell a car today, I mean, hopefully they don't have more than a two-week time lag for you to be paid on that. Now, different dealerships are going to vary on that, but... Um, And most dealerships these days are going to have some kind of a base or some kind of a draw. So you negotiate a draw that goes against commissions that you have. So you get paid immediately and it just goes against the actual commissions that you're earning. And hopefully you'll do far more than just the draw in terms of commissions that you've got coming to you. I I mean, I, as you know, I love selling cars and, um, I could jump into the car selling business immediately. Um, I mean, even if there's not people coming onto the lot, you, using your own center of influence, you ought to be able to tell people what you're doing or to go out where people are and meet them, tell them what you're doing and tell them why. I mean, even, even when times were really tough, I mean, if there's a real economic downturn and you are selling Lexus, man, I would recommend that you get permission from the dealership 
tell them you're going to take half a day and you're going to go out to Richland Country Club where you know the guys coming in and out of there are not going to be as immediately impacted by the recession. Tell them, you know, hey, take this car, you know, take it to lunch today if you want to, or just uh, drive your friends around, you know, the golf course property if you want to. Man, those guys will smell that brand new leather in there. They'll get the feel. They'll see some of the new GPS features and the little camera that shows when you're backing up what's behind you. And all of a sudden they'll realize, man, I need to have one of these. I mean, go to where your customers are and you'll get business. It doesn't matter what the economy is. It always, you know, makes me cringe when I hear people who very quickly in any kind of change in the economy or in their particular industry say, well, gee, there's no business, you know, anymore. Just because the way they've always gotten business doesn't work very well anymore. But I mean, that's a time to put on your thinking cap, do something that other people are not doing and you can still do well. Well, this comes from Jody. Jody says, you know, I'm going to spend a little time on this because this is, this is a pretty cool question. And uh, this is an issue that I have had come up probably five times in the last week. And I'll tell you what it is. I'll read Jody's question. I'll tell you where I'm going with this. Jody says, now Jody is somebody who's been involved with 48 Days for a long, long time. He actually uh, takes the podcast and unpacks it where he goes question by question and has the audio clip and the text for the question. He goes through all that work to put that together. And I'm sure that's available through our site as well. But Jody Smith out of Georgia. But Jody says, for years, I've dreamed of making a documentary film. Finally found a topic about which I am passionate. The working title is, You Can Make a Living Doing That? Jody says, I've learned so much, learned of so many interesting people in your books, podcasts, and websites. They've found ways to make significant income in the most creative ways. I want to meet some of these people, travel to see them. I want to interview them, find out more, tell their stories in a new way through film. My focus is to begin with the People in the 48 Days community, I expect to find plenty of new stories that I have not even heard about yet. Now, Jody's site, I want to give you a couple links here, and I need to put these up, some of the references I'm going to give you here. But Jody's site is obscuregenius.com slash movie. Now, if you go there, he talks about reading No More Mondays and talks about a lot of the people in there that are doing really creative things. You know, the lady who carves wood sculptures on my property and the guy who reads old history books and makes six figures doing that. I mean, he talks about a lot of the people, knows the book well, obviously, and has looked at a lot of the examples. So if you go to obscuregenius.com forward slash movie, you'll see Jody talking about those ideas and what he wants to do. He wants, he says, I've chosen to crowdfund this project because this model seems to provide the best combination of risk versus reward for the consumer, the funders, and me. What's your opinion of this model for this type of project? Now, let me talk about this a little bit because this is coming up a whole lot. Crowdfunding for an idea. Now, you were familiar with going to the bank and having them say, no, gee, you're going to start this new business. No, we aren't going to give you the money for that unless you have $100,000 equity in your house and then we'll loan you $50,000. I mean, that's pretty much the way it goes. But crowdfunding is becoming extremely popular. Now, Jody, I see that you're using Kickstarter 
to do this. Kickstarter is very popular for funding new businesses. And you can go there and check it out. I'm going to give you some links here. But Kickstarter is certainly one. A few months ago, there were some guys who, hearing that Donald Miller, the author of Blue Like Jazz, they had done some initial production work on a movie, Blue Like Jazz, and then ran out of money, and the project was just on the back burner. A couple of his fans, just readers of his book, said, well, gee, we don't want that project to stop. They went on Kickstarter. They raised a couple hundred thousand dollars in a pretty short period of time to fund the continued production and release of that movie. That's the kind of thing that can be done on Kickstarter. So Kickstarter is what Jody's using. I think it's a great way to go on this. There's Kickstarter. There's Rocket Hub. Um, Fun to Break. Catwalk Genius. Fans Next Door. CoFundos. Indiegogo. Go. Indiegogo. Uh, I, I know I need to put these links up. These are just some of the more common crowdsourcing. It means you put up a project, you say, hey, there's this cool new business I want to start, and I'm looking for people to help me get this off the ground. And people do. People put in, they can put in $10 or $50. And what usually happens is, and, and Jody's doing this, I see you're doing this as well. You'll give people different kind of bonuses depending on their level of giving. So at $250, funding for your movie project, people will get rights to resell the DVD documentary when you have it finished where they can buy them from you for five bucks a piece. Well, that's pretty cool. You know, so they may be able to sell them for 39 bucks and they can actually see this as an investment where they can recapture their money. There are a lot of approaches to this, but there there was a cupcake company that got started. And what they did is if you gave $50, they sent you a dozen cupcakes for $500. They named a cupcake after you. So there's just some of the fun things that are being done out there. ProFounder is a brand new one. Now, ProFounder was founded by Jessica Jackley. Now, I don't know if you recognize that name, but Jessica was one of the co-founders of Kiva. Kiva.org. I've talked about that on here many times. It's where I go in there and find these little projects. You know, a guy in Guatemala who wants another box of tools so he can increase his auto mechanic work and I put in $50. I have one like that going right now where he is repaid like $4.76. It's really amazing to watch these little micro loans come back in where the people pay back, you know, three or $4 a month, pay back the money. And then I just fund another project like that. But Jessica was one of the co-founders of Kiva And they have now given out over $150 million to fund microenterprise projects all around the world. She now has put together ProFounder. So you can go to ProFounder.com. It's one of these, again, a new way to fund a project that you've got. Now, there are others out there like rather than just people giving you money and not expecting anything in return, there are also things like Lending Club or Prosper where they will match People who want to borrow money with people who want to invest money. Very legitimate on both ends. So LendingClubProsper.com are a couple that are doing that. What I would recommend, as I stated earlier, with anything that I do, when I want to learn how to do it better, I go to the people who are doing it well and get coaching for how to do that. What I would do, there's a site called GrowThink, 
Grow.com. Grow, G-R-O-W-T-H-I-N-K.com. They have a training program for how to do crowdfunding. Crowdfunding formula, Dave Levinsky. Now, I don't have this. I haven't purchased it. But it's just one of those I know is out there. And I think it's like 97 bucks. I would do that in a nanosecond to learn how to do this well. And then absolutely put the project out there, get funding for it, see what you can do. I mean, some of these have kind of stopgap places where you say that if you don't raise $5,000, everybody will get their money back. It won't go any farther because that's not enough to actually fund what you want to do. Most of the things that are using crowdfunding like this are getting somewhere between five dollars and $25,000. So yeah, if you've got a great idea, and Jody, I'll be eager to see how this pans out for you. I see that you want to raise $48,000. Nice even number there with a 48 sounds good so if you want to do that yeah just uh, get it out there but these are some of the new things that are happening in ways that you can get a business off the ground now it has to be something that's exciting something that's appealing to people it can't just be you know i want to start a lawn mowing service you know please give me money now it has to be something that makes it appealing something that people would want to be part of something they'd be proud of saying hey i helped start that little business So if you can do it in that way, there are a whole lot of methods out here, a whole lot of sites that will help you shape that where you can then promote it on Facebook, Twitter, your own newsletter, all the things that you have to promote it. Get it out there to your friends and family and you'll find that people will step up to the plate, be excited about helping you get a project off the ground. Now, this is not, you know, this is not nonprofit. This is not just looking for donations. This is much different than that. You know, this is not where you want people just to feel sorry for you or think that what you're doing is just honorable. I mean, this is where you can really be doing something that's just flat, stinking exciting. And people will step up to the plate to help you with that. Well, we are taking care of business. Then a couple other songs I wanted to share with you today, but I'll save that for another time. Hey, I'm delighted to be on this path with you, and I am on the journey with you. You know, I'm always looking for new ideas, new things that I can do, restructuring my business, looking for creative ways that I can grow my own dreams and bring those into reality as I know you are. So keep enjoying the process of finding or creating work that's meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Let me know about your success. Have a great week.